It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my name's Dominic Ponsford, and you're listening to The Future of Media Explained. This week, we're going to learn all about how to make money from podcasts. So welcome to this week's podcast. And this week, it's something we get used to at Press Gazette, we're being a bit meta, we have a podcast about podcasts. And to help me understand how to make money from podcasts, I have... Press Gazette's UK editor, Charlotte Tabor. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Dom. So, podcast about podcasts. Well, we're a website that writes about websites, aren't we? So we're used to this sort of thing. I want to say that podcasts, the first podcast, was about 18 years ago. Doesn't that sound about right to you? Yes. Yeah, so I checked this and the word podcasting was coined in an article about a boom in amateur audio blogging for The Guardian in 2004. So... Yeah, pretty good guess. I googled it before we started. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like podcasts are a little bit like email newsletters in the sense it's quite old technology, but it seems to be having a bit of a moment, and it's something we've been writing a lot about this year, and it feels like we've been writing a lot more about it than we have done in the past. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I've definitely noticed that as well. Yeah. So in terms of the rise of podcasts, what can you tell me, Charlotte? What do we know? I don't know if people might disagree, but by my reckoning, podcasts by publishers really blew up after 2017, which is when the New York Times launched The Daily. And that's absolutely massive. I couldn't find a very recent figure, but in late 2020, they topped 4 million people listening to that every day. So just some other facts and figures for you. The latest Reuters Institute digital news report, which is the big report that shows all the trends in the news media industry every year, very well respected report. It found that 25% of people in the UK said they listened to at least one podcast in the previous month. Actually, the UK is quite low compared to other places. Worldwide, it was 34% said they listened to at least one podcast in the last month. And that is up 3% on the previous year. So there's, there is some growth. And among everywhere, it's 12% said they listened to news podcasts in particular. And actually, where you mentioned email newsletters, the report did compare podcasts to email newsletters in terms of it, of them being tools that have proved good for growing engagement in particular for publishers. Also worth noting that podcasts have a good reach among young people. Just in the UK, among 18 to 24-year-olds, 21% said they pay for audiobooks or podcasts. Obviously, audiobooks quite different, but it still gives a 
good sense that people are interested in them and, and willing to pay. And that's compared to 12% of 45 to 54 year olds and 5% of 55 and overs. And last point I just want to make, which is that during the COVID pandemic, there had been a bit of a dip in podcast listening, because certainly I agree with this, that people like to listen to them on their commute. Maybe they're walking to the train station or something. It's quite a nice way to fill the time. But obviously, a lot of office workers weren't commuting and that was one habit that did lose out a bit during the pandemic. But definitely the report shows that podcasts have definitely gone back into growth in the past year. So everyone's very much still excited about them. Yeah. So I guess, and I guess the thing about podcasts is one of the reasons publishers like them is because we, when you're at a website, your average reader might only spend a couple of minutes a, a week with you or a visit. But a podcast or audience person is spending 20 minutes, half an hour with you. So it's, like you say, it's much more engaged. It's a bit more like print in that sense. So I have a theory about podcasts, which is that it's actually a much more natural way, isn't it, for, pe- for human beings to, to take on information. Because for tens of thousands of years, we sat around in caves, didn't we? Before, before we wrote anything down, we passed on stories to each other. So maybe this re- the books and websites are just a flash in the pan and actually... Really, what we're going back towards is that kind of culture where we just pass on stories by words. When you think about it, it's quite intimate. People are literally, most of the time, people are talking, uh, listening to podcasts with headphones in. Like right now, we're going right into people's ears. So, And unlike reading a newspaper, you can wash the car or do some gardening or get some exercise at the same time. Yeah, it's great. Multitasking. Charlotte, what podcasts do you listen to? That's a big question, Dom. Very intimate. No, I like all the, loads of media podcasts because I'm a media nerd, obviously. But and then just a bit of comedy. Quite like I love the. I'm just going to name check one in particular, but I think Tortoise are doing a really good job actually with their longer, longer narrative podcasts. You really get into the story. That's one of my favourites at the moment. How about you? Well, I like episodic ones. Um, I feel a bit old fashioned. I like to get my news from the radio, like on the day as it happens, or on the TV, or on the website, or whatever. But when I like to learn things for my podcast, so I love uh, You're Dead to Me, the uh, BBC History one, and uh, I really loved The uh, Rise of the Sun King, the one on, one on uh, Audible about the, uh, about the rise of Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but listen, all this podcasting is all very well, Charlotte, but unless we make any money out of it, we're not going to have jobs, are we? So how can we make money out of podcasting? So advertising does still seem to be the biggest commercial bet for podcasts definitely um our interviewee today will say that as well but also it seems that people are now more and more at the stage where once they've built up some sort of loyalty and a relationship with the listener then they can try out different types of audio paywalls a bit more whether that's a really hard paywall or one more common where you get early access and an ad-free experience so you know for example if you're a diehard fan you can get a podcast a week before other people or a day before or something and there are different options now on for example apple podcast subscriptions which tortoise is using the economist their director of podcasts recently told our colleague bron about now that they've built up a reach of three million people every month with their podcasts they're considering experimenting with paywalls so although advertising is still pretty big i think we're going to hear more about asking people to pay directly for the podcast they love as well. Also, actually, I should just mention sponsorships, obviously, which is, a. am afraid I don't have a breakdown of what uh, how that compares to advertising subscriptions. But I've got a really good example that I heard at the podcast show this year from DC Thompson, which just shows that with a good sponsorship strategy, you don't need 
a huge amount of listeners as long as they are engaged listeners and the right listeners for your commercial partners. So DC Thompson's Energy Voice Out Loud podcast, they get an average download of just under 300 per episode, but it's pushing six figures in sponsorship revenue because they've got just perfect for that niche and they're just their 300 people are the right 300 people well if there's any sponsors listening hint there's a good opportunity to sponsor a brilliant media podcast here yeah we actually we have got a couple of uh, sponsored episodes coming up later in the year yeah great well look let's hear about history extra because i think you said that they you told me that they're one they were one of the earliest publisher podcasts back back in the uh launched back in the 2000s but they, the proof of the pudding is in the eating and they're eating that pudding, aren't they, at the moment, that subscription pudding? Yes, basically they introduced one of these ad-free and early access paywalls at the end of 2021 and this year they are on track to double their revenue and that means they are on track to get to seven figures. So I spoke to David Musgrove, who is the content director for BBC History Magazine and the History Extra website and podcasts, which are all owned by Immediate Media. David also is one of the host for the podcast. He's got very direct experience in all of this. And yeah, he spoke some really interesting tips on how they built their podcasts over the last 15 years, what's worked and what hasn't. They're, they've actually built the podcast up to being six days a week, which sounds like an insane amount of work, but he talked about how to make that work. Yeah. And I started by asking about that decision to launch a podcast in 2007 at a time when podcasts really weren't part of many publishers' strategies. It's a crazy thought that the podcast 15 years old this year. I don't know whether it makes it one of the longest lived podcasts going. It probably does. There can't be that many that have been, been tracking for quite so long. Back then in 2007, I was the editor of BBC History magazine. And during the course of my job, I was interviewing lots of interesting historians. And I had an interview lined up with a chap called Professor Ian Kershaw, who's now Professor Sir Ian Kershaw, who is one of the leading experts on the Third Reich and on Hitler. And I thought that's not many people get to chat to a man of that renown. I wonder if I should just record the conversation. So I checked in with him. That was okay. And I recorded it and I'd heard about these new podcasts that were the coming thing. And I thought, well, this is an interesting discussion. I think people might like to hear it as well as read about it in the magazine. So we started and, and people did like it. People did show an interest in it. And we've stuck with that format ever since of just giving historians and academics who've got something interesting to say, a chance to say it in a long form. And back in 2007, there weren't that many spaces, audio environments, where people had the chance to expand on their views, on their research and tell good stories with a 30 minutes or longer so it was it was quite an innovative thing actually and now there's lots of people doing it, obviously and that's great but back then it was uh, it was fairly rare can you just maybe summarize some of what you see as your biggest developments or points in the journey from then to where we are today yeah, sure. So we started off, we did that episode, and then we thought there's, this is interesting. Obviously, if we're going to make this work, we're going to have to keep doing it. We're going to have to commit to a bit of a regular schedule. So we thought we'll do it monthly because that ties in with the magazine's on-sale schedule. So we started with a monthly podcast, and then over time, we've increased the frequency. We went to fortnightly, we went to weekly. During lockdown, we really ramped it up, and eventually we got to 
to a point where we're doing it daily, seven times a week. We've dropped it down to six now because actually we found that some of our listeners were completionists who really wanted to listen to all the podcasts, but just found that seven was too much. So six a week. So that in terms of the frequency of delivery, those have been the main milestones. But we've also done lots of work in terms of how we get the podcast recorded. We've really upped the professionalism of that since that first effort. There's been various moments when we've recruited either more technical resources or editorial resources. So we've there was a point where we recruited technicians so to help us actually get the recording quality. And then more recently, we've, re- we've recruited specific editorial people to, to be in charge of the editorial process. So there have been moments there where we've upscaled in terms of the resource that we're giving to the podcast. It's a big operation, obviously, to produce that many episodes a week. And we need to be very slick and very smooth in terms of getting the podcast turned around with a fairly small level of resources, but we've got to get it done every time. So how big is the team working on it? So there's two editorial members of staff specifically tasked with working on the podcast within our broader BBC History Magazine History Extra environment. But the podcast is actually a joint effort. It's it's the interviews that we do are conducted by all members of the print and web team. So we've probably got maybe a bank of 10 different people conducting interviews, which I think is a really positive aspect of the podcast it feels like a team effort it's not dominated by any one voice or personality so we've got lots of different views and ways of ways of approaching conversations coming through and of course we're speaking to different interviewees every time as well so there's a big element of diversity there which i think our listeners appreciate in terms of the tech side of thing we've got a uh, a podcast production team of four people who are who help us to actually put together the podcast do the editing and get it turned around and you mentioned that the Six days a week is obviously a big commitment. Do you have any other tips for publishers? Obviously, there are daily news podcasts out there, for example. Do you have any tips on what you found helps with such a big output? We've, we've basically, we've always tried to keep it simple. From the get-go, we tried to keep it as simple as we could. So just a simple conversation with somebody who we were going to be speaking to anyway. So it was within our sort of context of the work that we were doing anyway. And that's really important, particularly if you're working for a publishing business where you've got you've got other areas where you need to focus on where there's revenue streams attached. It's you've, You need to make sure that you are doing something which you're doing somewhere else as well. I haven't phrased that very well, but I think it's important to, to make sure that it fits into your broader editorial approach. The other thing is to maximize the, the bang for your buck that you get out of the interview is to make sure that the people you are interviewing have a really clear idea about what it is you're after. We do pre-interviews with before our podcast, before the actual interview. So we chat to the people for five, 10 minutes just to make sure they're clear about what we're trying to do, the tone of the conversation, the tenor of the conversation. That reaps rewards in the same way that when you're commissioning anything, it's important to have a, a pre-conversation with whoever you're get commissioning to write or do anything. I think it's overlooked in podcasts and you think, oh, just jump on and have a chat with somebody but actually it really helps if you tee them up say what you're after say how long it's going to be don't you don't give them a full list of questions obviously that would make for a very staid conversation but you give them a sense about where the direction you want to go that really helps to smooth the process so that when it comes to the final edit you have hopefully a fairly clean edit through and you don't have to do a lot of work to to take out a lot of material that's that will really enhance your production process just one final one on the editorial and production side of things before we move on to commercial I was just wondering, you're talking to us now from a nice podcast studio, aren't you? I was wondering, do you get many people into your studio or do you find it easier to do remote and is there a pro and con? 
for that. Before COVID, we were out and about with our recorders going to people's offices, going to university campuses and that sort of thing, and doing a lot of in-person conversations, which was fine. It's quite time-consuming, obviously, to do that. What we're doing now, when lockdown hits, obviously we had to come up with different methods. So we are doing pretty much all our conversations remotely and all our team, all the all the 10 or so people who I cited have setups that they have in there wherever they've been working from home. So in their studies in their back rooms so that they can do the conversations remotely with our interviewees. That seems to work very well. The audio quality has been really very crisp. We've got a very a, a very slick mechanism for, for, for getting the audio quality sorted, which involves sending out mics to our interviewees and then having them posted back in a what sounds like a potentially quite a difficult process, but actually it's very easy to manipulate that and get those mics in and out and that has worked i think that as we extricate ourselves from covid if that happens then there will be a case for doing more in-person interviews obviously you do get a better rapport a better conversation if you're sat in front of someone but it does massively ramp up the amount of time that you're going to spend doing it i think that would be for special events brilliant so are you able to share quickly how big the podcast is now in terms of listenership. Yes, our 15th anniversary, as you've talked about, we're well over the 150 million downloads number. So we've done we've done an amazing number of listens over the years, and we are continuing to see growth in, in our audience. In any given episode, it's somewhere between 100 and 200,000 people listening to an episode, which which is a fantastic number. Yeah, definitely. Lots of people will be envious of that. Commercially, you've introduced a paywall to the podcast is that right could you tell us a bit about the thinking behind that yeah there's a couple of elements here we've got our website historyextra.com which is obviously affiliated to the podcast that has a paywall on it which is is a limiter in terms of stopping access to a lot of the content on the site we introduced that a couple of years ago and we've had various iterations on the podcast specifically we have a premium version which we launched last year when apple came to us and said that they were going to provide a subscription platform for some podcasts and we thought this seemed like a really interesting opportunity to get in so we have a, a separate premium feed it's available via apple uh, $1.99 a month and subscribers can access the content there and we put all our episodes onto that premium feed everything that goes onto the main feed goes there so there's two special differences firstly it's ad free so you get you're not you don't have you have an ad free experience and secondly we produce a number of exclusive series so multi-part narrative series exploring specific things we've done a series on the Princes in the Tower, the End of Roman Britain, the Salem Witch Trials. So these are longer form series, which we've introduced recently, and our premium listeners get access to them first. So we drop them first onto the premium feed, and then they go onto the main feed after the fact. So you're getting uh, early access to these longer form series, and it's ad-free. And it's it's proved surprisingly popular. I'm not um, going to share specific figures with you, but but I'm pleasantly surprised by the level of interest that we're seeing from people who are happy to, to part with money to to be sharing that premium experience. So it's almost if everyone does still get the same content, but it's a better experience for the super fans. Is that how you'd see it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I'd see them as super fans. That's a nice way of framing. I should say also, so subscribers to our website also get this, get the ad-free experience behind the paywall on the site. So it's doing a couple of things there, and it's important that we're maximising all the content we're we're producing and making it available to our listeners in the environment that they want to experience it in. But I think yeah, it's definitely super fans and. 
what I think is that there's obviously we've got a lot of people who've been listening to the podcast for quite a long time. And I'm sure there's some people who feel that they, it might not be crazy to say they owe us. They feel like they owe us something because they've been getting good content for years and years for free, essentially. Maybe they think these guys have been doing good service to us. I'm happy to hand over some money to support them, to support the continued existence of the podcast. But then there's also, I think, people who really do like the fact that they are part of an exclusive club getting stuff early and not being burdened by ads i don't know how far the ad experience is a problem for people but it feels like there are some people who like the cleanliness of a, an ad-free podcast i think there's something about clubbiness in podcasts and i feel like you can engage with the people who are producing the podcast and be part of the editorial process and i think that's something that we've managed to achieve in with the History Extra podcast. Even though we are speaking to quite quite important academics, people who've got got some fairly high level and interesting things to say, we're still allowing the the lay listeners into the conversation. And particularly, we're doing that via a strand that we introduced a few years back called the Everything You Know series, which is an episode that we put out on the weekend. And basically, we pick a big topic from history, say the Black Death, we pick a big expert, and then we go out to our audience, to our listeners, to our social media um, followers, and we say, what questions would you like to know about the Black Death? And then we collate those questions uh, and we put them to that speaker. So it's a it's user-generated content and the audience is very much involved in it and they get name-checked if they if one of their questions gets asked. So I think that's creating a bit of a club. And I think if you have a bit of a club feel, then people feel more inclined to want to be part of that. And that's where there's a possible value exchange that I think is quite interesting. So do you think not that many UK publishers certainly have done a similar thing yet? Usually podcasts are still just free, just trying to get just trying to reach people obviously a few have tried it out but not loads yet do you think it would mm. work for more people i think it's not impossible i think as i say you, you do need to have built up that, that credibility with your audience and that cachet and have created a sense that there is it's something that is worth being part of so i, I would go back to my previous answer on that if you've been able to do that with your podcast operation then i think there's something there i think I think there is a general sense that subscription and paying for content in a subscriber format is is a done thing nowadays. I know that maybe some people are turning away from some of the higher value subscriptions, but I think it's still a, a thing and there's more awareness that it is a possibility. So that does mean that it should be a feasible venture. But I do think you need to have you need to have built up your presence before just diving in. I think it's unlikely that you'd be able to just say, we've got a really amazing concept and a really amazing host and panel of interviewers, interviewees. Let's We're going to charge for it immediately. I think you need to have built up the rapport with the audience before you jump in. That makes sense. And obviously you've done that for years and years. I understand you're on, on course to double revenue for the podcast this year. Is that because of this? Is there anything else going on? Are you able to share a bit more about that? So the subscriber side of things will be fairly small part of the revenue we get from the podcast the majority of it is coming from the from the advertising money that we're getting from the main feed and that is just doing very well in part because it's led by numbers a lot of the ads uh, are sold on pure number basis so because we've seen a good increase in numbers over the last year or so we're seeing a consequent increase in advertising revenue as well from the new statesman comes a new podcast Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale, 
Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is there anything else you've experimented with or tried out in the last few years you think other publishers might be able to learn from? So in terms of the podcasting environment, I think I've mentioned the sort of the UGC content. I think that is important. But I think we've also tested some other formats. As I said, we've got these more Radio 4 style multi-part series. I think that's a very good thing to do to test the water and move out from an existing format. If you've established, crucially, if you have established a simple and effective format that you can deliver to start with. So I think that's very important that you create a baseline and then you can start to iterate and innovate from that. We do think that there is definitely a market for for the multi-part narrative stories. We're also currently testing a 15-minute format, which ties into our anniversary that, that we're talking about, the 15 minutes of fame format where 
we're looking, we've basically we've asked a bunch of leading historians to nominate somebody who deserves to be better known from history. And they've got solely 15 minutes to make the case for that person. So that's a much shorter format than the normal duration of our podcast, which, as I said earlier, is normally uh, half an hour, anything up to an hour, actually, for the Everything You Want to Know podcast. We allow them to run a bit longer because there's so much to do. So I think the that time slot duration is interesting as well. And if you are podcasting, you need to play around with the duration of your podcast and try and find the most appropriate time period for your listenership. Perfect. Just to finish off, as we've discussed when you started, there are very few podcasts in general and even fewer from publishers. Now there's quite a lot. Do you, do you think ever think about the risk of the market being saturated? Is that something that worries you or do you think there's still loads of space? I do I do wonder how many of the podcasts that I see being launched are going to hang around. It's fairly easy now to produce a podcast absolutely and you can do some interesting stuff and there are some there have been some really great podcasts launched in the history space recently with some really interesting people but you've got to you've got to commit to it haven't you you've got to as we have you've got to commit to the long haul if you want to build an audience if you want to get people to engage with what you're doing um and it's and it is a commitment to do it and as as we move out of covid and people start to find life getting back to normal a bit it might be something that becomes a bit onerous for people to continue to do and you can't do it with half measures i think you've got to get the audio quality right if your audio quality is a bit ropey then you're transmitting directly into people's ears most of the time when they're out walking the dog or whatever if it's crackly or if it's if it sounds smudgy or whatever like that you're not going to get people sticking with you so you've got to invest in the best audio quality you can and that's going to cost time and money and if people aren't seeing a return on it or aren't seeing a reason to continue doing it then i think some of them may drop away so i think that there is i think people will continue to listen to podcasts i think it's become an established thing in a lot of people's routines a lot of people are listening to podcasts instead of more traditional media i know that anecdotally and indeed through through the numbers we see and i think once uh, once something's established as a routine then people will continue to do it so yeah competition is going to hot up certainly but i think competition may also die away for those people who don't have a really strong reason to want to carry on doing. Thanks for that, Charlotte. That was a fascinating interview there with David and really good to hear the um, History, History Extra keeping up to date and, and making some money out of podcasts. Did you say that it's seven figures? So you're saying they're making in excess of a million pounds a year from their podcast? That's what they're on track to do this year, yeah. That's big money, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I wouldn't mind a million pounds a year from our podcast. Very happy with that. So what, what do you think is the, the big take-home from it then in terms of what other publishers can learn from um, the success of what they're doing over at History Extra? I'm worried I'm starting to sound like a broken record because I think I've said it on all the podcasts I've been on so far with you, but it, I think it's about building that community, having a really engaged audience and they have loads of diehard fans and the whole reason that they do six days a week is because people wanted more and more, but also they didn't. They don't do seven because they need to give people a day off basically or people would never cope with the listening workload. But he was saying, the reason I bring that up is he was saying about obviously that to get the subscription revenue, that's the only way to build it. You've got to, you can't just go into that too soon. You really need to spend a long time or at least work hard at having a really engaged listenership before you can ask that of them and it's obviously worked for them and they've got such engaged listeners like so much in publishing 
it, it takes a long time to become an overnight success. You can't, exactly. um, yeah, you need to build it and hope they come and then charge for it, but maybe further down the lane. Well, look, thanks for that, Charlotte. I'm sure podcasts are a topic that, gonna, that, we'll, that we'll return to on this podcast in the future. And uh, we've got another few episodes left now before we have our mid-season break in August. So you've been listening to The Future of Media Explained. With me, Dominic Ponsford, press UK editor, Charlotte Tobit, and expertly helped by our producer, Adrian Bradley. And you'll find out lots more about podcasts and everything else to do with the future of media on our website, pressgazette.co.uk. Thanks for listening.